The scripture reading for today is from the Gospel according to Mark, the 16th chapter, beginning with the first verse. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, good morning and happy Easter. What a beautiful, full sanctuary this is this morning. Well, I did some math this past week, and I calculated that I have preached somewhere in the neighborhood of 55 sermons in my life on Easter Sunday. That does not mean that I am 50, that I've been preaching for 55 years but that I have preached 55 different times on Easter Sunday. What I find interesting is that when I add up all of those sermons that I have preached over the years, that I can count on, I think, two fingers how many times I have preached an Easter sermon on this scripture that we have just heard. Mark's Gospel. Like a lot of preachers on Easter Sunday, I tend to gravitate to the other Gospels on Easter Sunday because those are the Easter stories that uh, give us the resurrection narratives that we tend to be most familiar with, the stories that we remember the best. For instance, Matthew. Matthew's Gospel is the one that tells us that there was an earthquake when the angel rolled the stone away that first Easter morning. Or Luke's gospel. Luke is the one that tells us that the resurrected Christ encountered a couple of his followers as he was uh, walking on the road to Emmaus, and they did not recognize Jesus until after they got to the village and they broke bread together. Or John's gospel which is the one that really fills in the 
the gaps for us. John, for instance, tells us that Mary Magdalene, when she sees the risen Christ in the garden, she mistakes him for a gardener and doesn't know who he is until he says her name, Mary, and then she knows his identity. She knows him to be her Lord and teacher. So like a lot of preachers, I've always leaned on those stories, the other Gospels on Easter Sunday. But we are currently, we currently find ourselves in uh, the lectionary year B. For any of you who happen to be lectionary followers, which means that our primary Gospel for this year is Mark. So I wanted to hear from Mark this year to see what Mark had to say to us on Easter. Because Mark, most likely, is the earliest account of the Easter story, the first written account of the resurrection of Christ. And of course, when we hear Mark's gospel, what we hear is a bit stark. It's sort of abrupt, even we might even say incomplete, especially com compared to the other three gospels, which, as I said, is why m me and, and many other pastors often go to the other other Gospels on Easter rather than Mark. Now, if you have a Bible with you or if you go home and read your Bible, you will notice that there are additional verses in Mark after what we just heard read a moment ago, verses that give a little bit more detail about the resurrection of Christ, but pretty much all biblical scholars will agree that those added verses at the end of Mark were added on many years later, many decades later even, after Mark was, was actually written. They were added to help correspond, help Mark correspond with the other gospel stories because those stories were well known. But Mark does share a detail in what we just heard a moment ago that none of the other gospel writers happened to mention. And it's something that has always intrigued me. It's intrigued me and it's intrigued people for, for centuries. Mark says that, that when the women were confronted by this, this man who, in the tomb who was dressed in white, who we very often uh, interpret as an angel. In fact, a lot of Bible uh, interpretations will actually call him an angel. The angel, the angelic messenger, says to them, don't be alarmed. He says, Jesus is not here. He's been raised. He says, look, there's the place where they laid him. But, and this is where I find it intriguing, he says, go tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. And you'll see him there just as he told you. Did you catch that? Did you catch what the angel said? He said, go tell the disciples and Peter. What is that about? Why would he say that? Why would he word it like that? The disciples and Peter. That would be like me saying, I have a message for the Davidson UMC staff and Manita. Don't you know if I said that, Manita's ears would perk up 
she would wonder what's up with that. And don't you know, Peter's would have too. So what is, what is this about? Maybe to, to answer that, we should back up just a, a few nights earlier to look at what was going on in Jesus' life, the last opportunity he had to be with his disciples, his dearest friends. During the Last Supper, as he was finishing his time with his, his friends during the Last Supper, he told them, he said, all of you are going to desert me in my time of need. And they all said, no, we won't do this. But it was Peter. Peter was the one, of course, who, who speaks up boldly. Peter is the one who pronounces, even though all may desert you, Lord, I will not. I never will. But, of course, we know that's not the case. If you were here Friday night for a good Friday or you watched virtually, you heard Brad read exactly what happened. When Peter had the opportunity to stand up and to claim his commitment to Christ, to let people know of his relationship with Jesus, he didn't do it. He denied him. He denied even knowing who Jesus was, and he did it three times before the rooster crowed, before the sun rose the next day. When it was difficult, when it was dangerous to follow Jesus, Peter failed, and he failed miserably. And so one can only imagine how Peter must have heard an angelic message that said to the disciples and Peter. Now Mark did say, as we just heard in the reading a moment ago, Mark did say that when the angel gave this message to the women that they were seized with fear and they didn't tell anyone, but we can surmise, I think, that they must have eventually shared this message with the disciples because they did get the news. So what must have been going through Peter's mind? Was he thinking, does this mean that Jesus doesn't consider me a disciple any longer? Did I, did I fail so badly at this that I fell from his grace? Did he just give up on me? And this, by the way, is, is a question posed not just by Peter years ago in, in biblical times. This, I can assure you, was a question that I hear from people very regularly today. People say to me, and I know they share with other pastors, questions like, after all I've done to screw up my life and to screw up other people's lives, after all I've done to turn my back on God, I wonder if Jesus hasn't just given up on me. I mean, why wouldn't he? For anybody who has ever asked themselves that question, I would just simply say this. Please remember Peter. When it was difficult for him to keep his commitment to Christ. Look at what Peter did. He, he was weak, and he failed. And yet, and yet, Christ, the resurrected Christ, still had this message for Peter. He said, I will be ahead of you in Galilee, and there you will see me again. 
just as I told you. And we know this. We know from the Gospel of John that Jesus and Peter did meet again. They had an intimate conversation with one another, and and Jesus loved Peter very much. He continued to love him. He continued to challenge Peter to love him and to love and care for his people and for his sheep. Just like it was for Peter, it will be difficult for us. It will be difficult for us to follow Jesus at times. And there may even be times when it will be dangerous for us to do it. Living a a cruciform life is challenging. And we will fail. Sometimes we will fail miserably. But Easter is our reminder that the risen Christ has a message for us, for the disciples and us, the disciples and you, insert your name there beside Peter. The message is that there is no failure so devastating. There's no debt so great that it's not overcome. It's not defeated by the reconciling love of Jesus Christ. And remember this. This, I think, is important. The risen Christ did not come back looking for a new and a different group of of people to be his church because those first followers deserted him. No, he, he came right back to those same people. He came right back to the same miserable failures, the very ones who had abandoned him at the cross, Peter and the like. And it wasn't just Peter, by the way, who deserted Jesus. Virtually all the disciples fled when the going got tough. They all fled except for the women. The women didn't flee. Women stayed right by Jesus' side through it all. Not only did they stay by Jesus' side through it all, but they were actually the first ones to greet him at the empty tomb as well. So maybe the lesson for everybody is be more like women, and you're likely to be closer to Jesus. Can I get an amen? But the good news is, even when we're not, even when we've failed Jesus miserably and we have denied him in the ways that we live, Jesus has still come back for us. He's come back for us too, for his disciples and you. Insert your name. What wondrous love is this? Love that defeats death, love that that rises from the grave, and then comes back specifically for the very ones who turned their backs on him. Love that for his disciples and for us has opened paradise. 
now as recipients of, of such wondrous love, how could we do anything, anything but, but offer that love to everyone, everyone just as freely as it's been given to us? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.